0: Welcome to another episode of the Heal the Hurt podcast. And today I'm gonna talk about the 10 surprising reasons we benefit from a broken heart. Now, three of these, you're gonna notice are incredibly empowering and they propel us forward and give us an opportunity to find the love and relationship that we deserve or the mending of the heart, whatever the situation was that broke our heart. It allows us to heal it and achieve greater satisfaction in our life. Now, unfortunately, the last seven are the ones most people use. They're disempowering. There's benefit in it, but they're all self-sabotaging. And yet these are the ones that most of society uses. So this is gonna be very interesting. Hang in and listen to those seven. For many people, you're gonna recognize yourself and you're gonna become aware of, my gosh, I had no idea that I used those seven. And so this will give you an opportunity to gain the awareness and change that so that you can stop experiencing the broken heart. And that's what we're all after, right? Finding love and peace and security. So let's start with the first three that are empowering. The first one is, for many people, it spurs them to actually seek help. And when we seek help, when we seek guidance, what do we gain? A deeper self-awareness. We recognize things in ourselves that we just couldn't see. It's very normal, like it's very hard for all of us to see ourselves authentically. We're too close to it. We're too emotionally invested and we can't quite see every aspect of ourselves. So having an outside reference allows us to investigate parts of ourselves that we couldn't see. And so to demonstrate this point, I'm gonna give you examples from clients of mine. And what came to my mind were in this ta- this first step, uh, this first benefit was a woman named Autumn. Autumn came to me after repeated breakups and really attracting narcissists. And what and, and she'd suffered from horrific anxiety, um, had been going on for 40 years, um, a lot of troubles in childhood, in the home, alcoholic mother, um, a lot of codependence, uh, a lot of abuse. And what she was unaware of, that she learned in this process was that her anxiety was born in childhood. See, many people don't know that, doctors won't tell you this, but anxiety is caused by previous trauma that's never been healed. And so you're sitting there watching TV and all of a sudden you get heart palpitations or whatever it may be. Well, it doesn't fit what's going on. You're relaxed watching TV. Well, that's your body sending you a signal Wait a minute, you have pain from your past you've never dealt with. Well, because Autumn, because of the broken heart, started to learn about narcissism, learned about the effects of childhood, learned about where anxiety really comes from. It's been over a year now. She's had, for the longest she had ever gone in 40 years without an anxiety attack, was four days. It's been over a year. She's only had one. That's it, one. She was being overlooked in her job, she was underperforming, couldn't speak because every time she'd stand up to try and give a presentation, all of that anxiety, all of that trauma would come up. Well, she just spoke in front of Congress. She's been elevated in her position. See, she wasn't aware that that anxiety was also creating her attraction to people like this and showing up in her life. So when she got a new awareness, new skills and tools, By dealing with that anxiety, she's now in a wonderful relationship with somebody who's pursuing growth. A narcissist won't. So that's one of the benefits that comes from, from a broken heart. It forces us to go get help and and gain more self-awareness. Dave came to me because his marriage was falling apart. He was trying to find out if he should get a divorce. Well, what Dave was completely unaware of is he didn't know what verbal abuse was. He had no idea that he was married to someone who was extremely verbally abusive. And many people don't realize what are the dynamics of it. Whenever we tell somebody what they should think, feel, or do, and if we do it in a, especially in a demeaning way, but when we are trying to tell somebody, you need to think this way, you need to feel this way, you need to do these things, That's abusive by nature, it's controlling. And then many times there's belittling aspects in it. Well, Dave had no idea that he had been married to someone who was verbally abusive as he told me how she would communicate, you know, he was pursuing a new career and how she'd belittle him and condemn him and tell him what he should think, feel and do all the time. Dave was completely unaware of that. Well, once he got the awareness and I was able to give him tools to start standing up for himself and protect himself. Well, the marriage, she she was unaware. She didn't know. She had been raised in a very domineering way. She didn't know she'd become verbally abusive. And so the two of them were able to reconnect with new self-awareness. Erardo came to me because his marriage was falling apart. Erardo didn't know anything about narcissism. And so he joined my university program. the first three weeks, he wouldn't show up. Just couldn't do it, scared to death. Well, what Erardo wasn't aware of is because of dynamics in his childhood, he couldn't advocate for himself either. He didn't know that his childhood was filled with narcissistic influences from family members, uncles, cousins, parents. And so he didn't know he was repeating the abuse. He didn't know he could stand up for himself and say no to any of this. He didn't know how to protect himself. Well, once he became aware, he realized, I can't work with a narcissist, it's inca- they're incapable. And so from that place, he was able to file for a divorce, and this is the most important thing, at least to him. He was able to protect his son. By learning new skills and tools and not being codependent, because most people that are with narcissists are severely codependent, that's what keeps them trapped by healing and becoming aware that he was codependent and working on that, he's now able to raise his son differently. So his son won't be conditioned and fall prey to the same type of woman. Also, even though they're gonna be split and and his mother's a narcissist, by having these, these new skills and tools, he can do things as a father to protect his son from taking on those personality traits. So that's number one. Broken hearts usually send us towards getting help and gaining a deeper self-awareness. Number two is we learn more about what we do and don't want. Think about it. Most relationships, especially when we're younger, we're just like, oh my God, they're cute, they're hot. And then it breaks up and we realize, I don't like this. I don't want this in, in my relationship. I don't want this in the future we really aren't aware because none of us have sat down and and mapped out what are my morals and values? What are my needs and wants? What's negotiable and non-negotiable? We're not taught that that's a, that is like, before we ever go on a date, we need to map those out. Nobody's taught us that. And so we end up in these relationships and we find out we have different political views, all these different things, because we got wrapped up in the intensity of the physical or you know, the dynamic of attraction. And then we have all these opposites and we, you know, for however many years we're with somebody, we're fighting against those opposites because we never knew what our needs and wants were. Well, Georgie came to me because she was in a relationship and didn't realize that because of her childhood, she had absolutely no ability to express her needs and wants. She would come in every week complaining how her partner wasn't doing this and this and this. And I was like, well, does he know that's important to you? And her response was, well, he should know. Sound familiar? Well, no, they shouldn't. It's our job to communicate our needs and wants. And even if we tell them once, we need to tell them every single day. This reminds me of a different client who just wants every day, wants her husband to check in on her. Just say, hey, how was your day? And she would get really frustrated because she said, I've told him a thousand times. And I was like, I understand your frustration and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with your frustration, but do you realize your husband has different needs and wants? And this doesn't cross his mind. Now it's wonderful if it does, but everyone's different. What, what is foremost in their mind is to their needs and wants and how they want, they need and want to love us can be completely opposite. Therefore, it is always our responsibility to continually ask for our needs and wants. It's not their job to read our mind, and it's wonderful when they recognize it and they do it. But if they're the type of person where it's not top of mind for them, it's our job to communicate it. She didn't know that. Well, as she dropped the codependent nature of, you know, they just have to do this if they love me. That's the Kardashian model of you're just supposed to. That's a very immature, codependent, childish ideal. As she gained emotional mastery, gained maturity, dropped out of codependence, started to ask for her needs and wants the relationship blossomed. She came in with a broken heart and mended it by gaining step one, more awareness. Manny came because of something similar. He'd grown up in a abusive childhood with addicts. And when there are addicts around, they're incredibly selfish. Everything's about them. Well, he went and became an addict and he'd struggled. Well, he didn't know how to communicate his needs and wants. He, because it was always fend for yourself. And and so he would never verbalize it. Well, that was creating a huge broken heart in him with his relationship with his daughter. They couldn't communicate. Will his Manny learn learned to be vulnerable and open and share his history, share his past, talk about his needs and wants and how he wanted to be a great father that he didn't know how, that he wasn't raised by people that could teach him. And he expressed, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is who I'm trying to be as a father. I've put a plan in place. I'm working on it. I'm learning, I'm growing. I'm getting the skills and tools that I never had. He saved the relationship with his daughter. He mended it. Jay is one of my favorite stories. He's in my book. And most of the names I'm using today are fake names, but this name is real. <laughs> Jay, he, cause he was like, oh yeah, put my name in the book. Jay came to me because he'd been dating a woman for, gosh, I think it was five years at the time. And she wouldn't commit. She would not commit, they lived together, but she'd never take the next step. And and she, you know, pretty aggressively say, no, you're not not really strong enough for me to marry. I mean, I love you, but no, I'm not getting married. And there are other aspects too that had nothing to do with Jay about why she didn't want to get married. Well, as we talked more about it, what I realized was, again, Jay didn't know his needs and wants. He had no clue because of his own childhood, he was made to take care of parents. So I gave him a test. I said, for the next week, I want you to practice saying no. Just say no, even if it's something you like. Well, I will never forget when he came in the next week and he told me a story of how he and his um, girlfriend went out to dinner and his steak arrived and he cut into it and it was undercooked. And he turned to the waiter and you know, the waiter came back, you know, how are things? And he goes, you know, this, this doesn't work for me. It's not cooked right. Could you please redo it? And he said, you should have seen my girlfriend. She's like, what are you doing? Like almost angry. What are you doing? And he's like, what do you mean? She goes, what are you doing? He said, well, I sent my steak back. Why? Cause it wasn't cooked right. And she goes, yeah, but you never do that. You just put up with anything. What are you doing? And he said, you know, it just, it doesn't fit my needs and wants. I'm not okay with it. So I'm sending it back. And he said, she just pulled back and just like, like turned at him like this, like stared at him, like couldn't figure him out. Well, three weeks later, I'm scrolling through Facebook at like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And there I see this video of Jay on his knee at, uh, what was it, the the opera, I think, in the, the foyer of the opera, on his knee proposing to her, and she said yes. You see, when Jay was able to finally start saying no, stand up for his needs and once he became safe. He became powerful. He became sexy as hell. A woman doesn't need a man who's a bully and a tyrant. She needs a man who's filled with purpose, who sticks to and can stand up and go, look, I disagree with you, but this is what works for me. Boundaries are love, boundaries are safety. When Jay learned his needs and wants and learned how to say no, he was able to mend the relationship and mend the broken heart. Number three, this is one of the biggest things that people are unaware and one of the ways they protect themselves and benefit from a broken heart is they seek out help, they go to number one, and then they end up realizing that their, child, their childhood is where all of this started. And so they do the work to heal their wounds. That's the benefit because it's our wounds from childhood that have us repeating, picking people that, where we end up with a broken heart. Science shows that overwhelmingly, my book proves it. I talk about the worst day cycle. Everybody, if you keep breaking your heart, you're just repeating your pain from your childhood. That's it, nothing else. It's not about them. It's about pain from your past that's not been dealt with. I could put you in a room with 20,000 people. All of them would be perfect for you. I'd put one person in there that would remind you of the exact same chaos, confusion, sadness, whatever it was in your childhood. And like radar, you'd pick them until you heal. And that brings me to Michelle. If you have not seen this video, I urge you go to my YouTube channel and watch 23, what's it called? 23 minutes to forgiveness. That's it. It's a 23 minute long video, but it will transform your life. Michelle had been married to an alcoholic who never did anything. She took care of the kids, cleaned the house. Like he was totally irresponsible. And she's like, I've I've gone to PSI, I've gone to Tony Robbins, I've gone to all these counselors, therapists, I've been everywhere and I can't let go. I can't forgive him. What's going on? Well, as I helped her see, she had never forgiven herself for how she had taken care of her mother as a child. It was a dual thing. She'd never forgiven her mother, which she thought she had, but ultimately, She had never forgiven herself for how she became the caretaker for herself and everybody in her life. And so she was self-sabotaging by always being the righteous, dutiful little girl. She never could stand up for herself. And so she was picking people to relive that. And so the reason she couldn't forgive him is ultimately she couldn't forgive ourselves. And that's true for anyone. So if you struggle with forgiveness or you wanna see how to get over a broken heart, please go to my YouTube channel, 23 Minutes to Forgiveness. It's a live coaching session I did with a client. It will change your life. And you'll be able to see, oh my God, this broken heart is a massive benefit. It gets me to the original wounding that created the attraction that put me in this situation. The other one I think about is Amy. I met Amy, was it four years ago? And as she said, you scared the living hell out of me. (laughs) Because I talk about, look, you know, she was just about to get married and there's a little bit of things we talked a little bit about. I met her at a networking thing and we just went and had coffee and kind of talked and she started to get a little bit vulnerable. And as I started to talk about what causes all this, she's like, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. I'm not, you're this, no, you scare me. This isn't enough. Now, she didn't say that. I saw it in her face. Like, I do scare people. If you don't know how, if you've been watching most people and hear what most people talk about, what I talk about is a big leap, much deeper and gets to the source. And it can be a bit scary because like, whoa, this is different. Well, that was Amy's experience. Well, Amy finally got in touch with me because her and her husband were separating. brand new, you know, um relationship. they just got married, and it's like, here I am again. Well, what Amy didn't realize was that it all tied into her father and a simple little exchange as a child in the car ride in the back seat of something he said to her. Now I won't repeat it, but something he said to her while she was sitting in the back seat that left her with tremendous shame, tremendous guilt, and a tremendous sense that she could never stand up for herself. She had to put up this wall of, I'm a strong, powerful woman. I am a career woman, all this. She had shut off her vulnerability and her inability to be vulnerable and open her heart was created by that childhood dynamic and it was playing a huge role in the struggles in her marriage and the broken heart she was going through. Now she learned that they have patched things up and have turned things around. The final one I think about is Kelly. This is the most incredible experience I've ever had with anybody. Um, she came to me um, struggling with multiple addictions, repeated abuse by men in her life. And what she didn't realize was she was in her late twenties, and this is heart. This one's really heartbreaking. And this is why I always say the most broken people are the most wealthy and the most successful. We think they have it figured out. It's not true. They may have succeeded in gaining money, status, and power, but it's been my life experience. They have the most trauma in their life. The so-called ones that have it all together have the most trauma in their life. And her mother was a very powerful executive in Fortune 500 company, and done great things. You know, I, I, I can't get into details because of privacy, and I can't if I mention specifically, it's just too. I have to stay very general about it. But. Kelly was in her late 20s and had never had a job or a month here kind of job. Mom was paying for everything, all of her expenses, everything. And here's what was heartbreaking. She could have a five, ten $10,000 bar bill and mom would pay the credit card bill, just like that. If she ever did anything self-loving, self-care wise, mom would threaten to pull out all the funding. Think of that, think of that. What her mother had done because of her mother's own pain and unhealed trauma is she had created a child that she had molded into an alcoholic and an addict just like mom that you can control through money. And see, we think this spoiling and being, you know, these parents who, you know, like this, the college exam scandal and all of that, that's severely abusive. Like that's horrifically abusive. This thought that, oh, I love my kids and I want the best for them. No, that's not the best for them. That's the best for you because your ego is attached to it. That's horrifically abusive. And that's what the most wealthy tend to do. They get caught up in, unless you have this name or status, you're nothing. And so they really use their children. They become toys on the shelf. And that's what happened to her. Well, she didn't know that. She was completely unaware, like literally unaware that her mother had made her a prisoner. Well, I have never seen a client work so hard and transform their life with so much pain it's unbelievable what she's doing in her life she now has her own career i mean for the first time in her life to actually be supporting herself she literally did not know how to support herself it's was unbelievable the progress this woman has made in such a short time and how hard she worked ah just yeah, I can't, I lose words because of this severe damage and, the, and you wouldn't think a person who's been through this could recover from it, you know? You just wouldn't and yet she has, it's unbelievable. But look at the benefit of the broken heart. She reclaimed her life, she got herself back, she learned, she got awareness, she saved her own life. That's what she did. Now those are the three main benefits that enrich our lives. Now I'm going to get to the seven that this is what most people use and they're disempowering, all right? <laughs> most people benefit from a broken heart by getting attention. Think about it. What do most people do? They start telling their friends, they post on social media, all this. And so all of a sudden you get 300 people going, "Oh my god, you poor thing. Oh, that's so heartbreaking that you went through this." So we we puke our heartbreak to social media or onto our friends, and what do we instantly get attention? That's a big benefit because we were obviously in a bad relationship, it wasn't going well, and now by having this breakup or this broken heart, we get tons of attention, massive, massive attention. Now I'm gonna, as you hear these, you're gonna see why these are all disempowering. Here's where it turns disempowering. We then get them to try and fix it for us. And here's the proof. Almost all people, when they go through a broken heart, will not get help. They will talk to their friends, post on social media, all of this. But the second somebody offers them a solution, they won't do it. Oh, I can't, it's too much money. Uh, All the excuses in the book. Do you see why? if they actually went and fixed it and healed it, do you see what they lose? Attention. Plus their friend or these random people on Facebook want to fix it for them. They'd have to do it themselves. Well, wait a minute. This person cares more about the problem than I do. They're offering me all these suggestions, but if I do them, I'll lose that. Oh my God. Do you see the benefit of staying disempowered, of repeating, getting our heart broken? Now, a lot of people want to won't admit to this, but if we haven't gone and gotten help and become an expert, that's what we're doing. We are repeating the pattern. We are choosing to relive it because it doesn't have to continue. My process, there are tons of great teachers. Go learn. You don't have to live this way. So if you're choosing not to go become an expert, you're choosing these disempowering ways to stay stuck and use disempowering benefits to keep you experiencing A broken heart. Now, what do those two give us? Attention and getting others to fix it for us. Number three, power. Total power. When we've been brokenhearted, we feel powerless. So this becomes a manipulative dynamic to get power over everybody else. Oh, my life is so bad. I don't know what to do. I'll fix it for you. Oh my God, you're such a great man. You're such a great woman. They chase me. They chase me, they adore me with all of this care and all of this concern. That leads to number four. We don't have to take responsibility because I've got you being responsible for it. That's a huge benefit. I don't have to go get help. I don't have to read a book. I don't have to take a course. I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to take responsibility if I stay stuck over here. What a benefit. Oh my gosh, think of that. I get to stay here and play the victim. Oh, this is such a huge benefit because you're taking, you, my friends and family members and loved ones are taking more responsibility for fixing the problem than I am. What a wonderful experience. It's a huge benefit. Number five, do you see what happens if we keep ending up in broken hearts? Because we're choosing not to address any of this. It means we never have to be vulnerable. Do you see all the people that I talked about who went and did the work? They opened themselves up and saved their hearts by being vulnerable. Well, if we don't do the work, we don't learn about vulnerability. We don't learn to express our needs and wants. We don't learn to heal our childhood trauma. We then repeat it. And that's another benefit. Oh my God, I never have to risk and be vulnerable with anyone because I can keep picking people that will allow me to play the victim. And that means they never really get to know me and I never really get to know myself either. What a benefit, what a benefit. Number six, if we're doing all of that, do you see what we get? Freedom, freedom, yeah. If I'm not vulnerable, it guarantees I'm going to be broken up with at some point. I'm going to be free. If I don't take responsibility and you do it for me, I get to spend my time doing other things. Freedom. If I have power over you and I get your attention, I have freedom. Wow, what a benefit. Number seven, this is the big one. Ultimately, it keeps us stuck as the wounded child. I get to stay. And remember how I talk about 95% of our life, science shows we are stuck in our subconscious. Our subconscious is made up of our childhood experiences. So all of us are what is called the adapted wounded child. We developed, if you've read my book, you know about the worst day cycle. We stay stuck as the adapted wounded child because We needed attachment with our parents and we developed these victim tendencies to survive childhood and create a connection with our parents. And so I won't go to help, I won't learn about my needs and wants, I won't heal the wounds from my past because what would I lose? The false, what we don't realize is a subconscious false connection with our parents' caregivers. I get to stay the child. Do you see all of these allow me to be the child and get, get you and everyone else to be my parent? It works. What a benefit. Now, the question is, why do we do this? Because most people hearing this are gonna feel really offended and go, I don't do that. Well, my goal isn't to offend you or hurt you. You don't know. We've really, we're only really 50 years into the exploration, deep exploration of psychology and actually talking about it as a society. Our culture refuses. It's still, it's so much better, but our culture still refuses to deal with childhood, still refuses to be open and vulnerable about our feelings and our pain. We still have this false idea, especially in the United States of... We have to be big and strong and powerful. Can't ever be negative. Can't ever say anything negative. Always positive, positive, positive. That's no way to live. That's why we're stuck in all of this. Pain is growth. Pain is the solution. It's the avoidance of pain that creates pain. The only way we liberate pain is to become an expert in it. And you realize, look at, I gave you nine examples of people who went head first into their pain and they save their lives, change their lives. The solution to life is in our pain. It's in our darkness. It's not in, the only way we can truly be positive is to become an expert in our pain, is to stop the seven disempowering victimized ways. And that's the problem with our culture. Our culture promotes being a victim. Now, it's not intended, especially in America, we want to be kind. We want to be nice, but the model we've been shown that creates these seven disempowering benefits is a codependent model. It's not love. It's not kindness. It's abusive. And it keeps us all stuck as the victim, allowing us to never take responsibility for our thoughts, feelings, and actions and the pain from our past. None of us benefit from that. That kills us all. It robs us of our greatness and our potential. It it makes sure We continue to suffer a broken heart. That dynamic, when we promote the victim and oh, you poor thing, we guarantee that this person who we say we love is going to re-experience pain and now we are a part of the problem. And so here's the thing. If If you recognize this in yourself, here's your solution. Stop. Stop posting and telling everyone about it. Go do the work. Hire a professional. Seek help. Go be, you, maybe you don't, you're not ready for a professional, then start reading books, start watching videos, go become an expert, gain the self-awareness, learn what your needs and wants are, heal your wounds from childhood. Now, if you find yourself, oh my God, I'm trapped with one of those people who will never do anything to change their life, then the most loving thing you can do is stop. The next time they call you and go, can you believe what so-and-so did? Go, you know what, Susie? John, I love you. I love you immensely. And I've realized something, that until a person chooses to go get help, if I sit and listen to them, I'm actually hurting them. I'm actually enabling them to continue to have their heart broken. And now that I have this new information, because I love you so much, I will no longer listen to anything having to do with your partner and how bad it is. Because we've talked for one, two, three, five years now about how bad this is, and you've chosen not to do anything about it. And what I I didn't know that my listening was actually creating part of the problem. And so, because I love you so much, I will not hurt you like that anymore. So I'm more than happy to talk about any subject you want. But if it's more about how this person is being mean to you and you're choosing not to go get help for it, I will not listen to it because I love you. And listening to you is unloving and unkind. And I didn't know that the way we were taught to be kind was actually abusive, but now I know. And because I love you so dearly, from now on, I'm gonna prove that to you. And I will not listen to this. That's love. That's how you stop the seven disempowering and move to the three empowering, which give us the real benefits of a broken heart. If you think this will help somebody, please like it, share it. If you disagree, or if this rings true for you, please leave comments. And as always, just enjoy the journey.